0: and rely on His promises every day. Here's the message.
1: Brilliant, okay. Hello, good morning. My name's Lydia, I'm one of the pastors here and Mark and I communicate really well. So, (laughs) um, before the children go out, there is a little club just along the hallway To the right, if children want to go, um, Andrea's going to wave now and show herself, and she's in charge, so anyone who wants to go with her can go in just a moment, but I want to start something, okay? I'm starting something this morning. I want to start us using when we want to, I find it easier when I'm worshipping sometimes to use a bit of sign language as well. I'm not saying stop singing, please don't. Um, but I actually find it really useful to know the sign language for some things, and I love it. So I'm going to start, sometimes when I come up, I'm going to start with a new sign language for us all to try, okay? Now, this isn't new, this is old, and most of you know this one. So do any of the children know what thank you looks like? that's right excellent well done okay yes they do so now I want us all to try it okay so it's to the chin and forwards thank you so now when you want to say thank you quietly you know someone's handed you something and it's in the middle of the service you can go thank you okay but even better when we're singing songs thank you lord of heaven and earth thank you do you see Now I'm going to give you the second one, just because I thought most of us probably already knew thank you. So the second one I want to give us, and I love this one so much because it sums up how the word looks. Okay, you ready? Praise. Isn't that good? Praise. So now we have Thank you, Lord. I want to praise you. I mean, you know, obviously I'm just putting extra words in and we can do all of those words some other time. But I hope that's helpful. So you can use it today when you're in the children's club, in Adventure Club. You can start saying thank you to each other when they pass you something, okay? I think it's brilliant. And if you talk about praise, feel free to sit there silently going okay awesome so andrea if you'd like to stand up so everyone can see you and if you lead on out if you would like to go that's up to you i do know what i'm preaching on i'm not sure children are going to enjoy it that much (laughs) (laughs) truth truth be told you're going to have more fun at adventure club (laughs) brilliant okay then and who wouldn't want to go to adventure club Brilliant. Well, Father God, I just pray for them as they go on out, Lord God. I pray that you meet them in their group, Lord God, and that everything that you want to say to them is downloaded today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brilliant. I think children's ministry is the most important ministry in the whole of a church but then I was a children's pastor once, so, you know, there might be a little leaning there. (laughs) I do, I honestly think it's more important than what I'm about to do. Um, Okay, right. (laughs) What I'm about to do is share a few jokes with you. Amen, hallelujah. When I was young, I thought rich people owned Bose music systems, and the rest of us had Sony products. Turned out those were just Stereotypes. But, but really, I grew up poor. I was so poor, I couldn't even pay attention. <laughs> but did you hear about the guy who invented polos? And he got rich. He made a mint. Oh, gosh, they're getting worse, aren't they? Well, you see, I texted my son. Praise, says Mark. I texted my son, you know, that I'm, I'm preaching on a rich man and a poor man today. And he said, well, poverty is poetry to me mainly because I'm dyslexic (laughs) and with that I shall stop. I'm just going to give you a little intro and then I'm going to ask for my reading to be read by a man. (laughs) This is, (laughs) you were close by, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Mainly because I didn't want it to be all me and all female up here, yes, and also because I forgot to get anyone so I'm so sorry, thank you so much. (laughs) So Jerry will be sharing the reading with us in a moment but I just want to uh, get us in the right place. So As you know, we've been walking through the book of Luke very, very slowly and here we get to Luke chapter 16 and we'll be starting in verse 19 in a moment. Today's passage from Luke's story is a story that Jesus shares about a rich man and a poor man named Lazarus. So I think it's worth clearing up right here at the beginning that this Lazarus is not the Lazarus you may have heard of, who is the brother of Mary and Martha and who was raised from the dead. This is a completely different Lazarus, the same as we have several sous in the room right now. They are not all the same Sue. So it is not the same Lazarus, so I hope that that clears that up very quickly. And before we hear uh, the scripture, I thought I would share an interesting thought with you that I found. The story is sometimes called a parable, but it's not considered by all scholars to be a parable. Because this story, unlike any other parable that Jesus tells, includes a named person. I just told you his name, Lazarus. So, an interesting idea that I just want to put out there as we hear the scripture this morning is that this could actually be a retelling of an actual case history that Jesus had seen from his own eternal perspective. How interesting is that? It could, in fact, be a true story that he is recounting. You'll see why that's so interesting in a moment. So there's no actual teaching point in that, but I thought it was a really cool idea that I would share with you. I'm not going to start a church on it.
0: <laughs> Jerry, thank you.
1: Actually, I'm going to grab me water.
0: Okay, Luke um, 16, 19 to 31. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. in order that those who would pass from here to you may not do so, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead.
1: It's nice, isn't it, not just to have me all the time. I think so. We're going to keep that up as best as possible. So let's look a bit more in depth at the story itself. So we're going to go verse by verse, like we've been going through uh, the whole book of Luke. Today we're doing it in this passage. So let's start at verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. Now, this description tells us that he was a very rich man. He is described clothed in purple and fine linen, which are the most expensive fabrics of his day. And his eating habits are unusual. The description of feasting sumptuously can be interpreted as eating gourmet, costly dishes. It's kind of like eating at Whatley Manor's restaurant every single day. So this would be something that actually people in that culture only did maybe a few times a year. I would say that's true of our culture too, actually. Um, But this man is described as eating in this way every day. Then verse 20, and at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. So very close by, right at his gate... There's a poor and sick man named Lazarus who just hopes for some food that will fall from the rich man's table. And yes, this could be actual dropped pieces of food, but another interesting fact that has no real point to it, but I quite like, um, is that actually people in those days, uh, they ate food with their hands and they may have used a hunk of bread to wipe their hands clean before eating their food. So that hunk of bread would have gone on the floor So that would have been there available for anyone hanging out under the table, as it were, um, but is quite disgusting because their hands were not washed before this hunk of bread. (laughs) This was the washing. Okay, verse 21 continued. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. I do wonder why Jesus included this graphic detail about the dogs licking Lazarus' sores. It certainly makes it a very clear picture to us of the disgusting, difficult life that Lazarus was living. You know, dogs and crumbs from the table remind me of another encounter in Jesus's life. When a Canaanite woman came and and begged him, she compared herself to dogs begging under the table that she might have access to even the tiniest, the least touch of deliverance and healing from Jesus for her daughter. Let's read that scripture right now. Matthew 15, 21 to 28. And Jesus went away from there. And withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered to the woman, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came You see, the woman who came to Jesus in that account was seeking the least he might give her because she knew that the least he might give her would be more than the world could possibly have to offer. But Jesus gave her more than the least because that's who Jesus is. He's the God of the more. He was moved by her faith. She didn't give up. She kept coming And sometimes we must remember that we don't give up and we keep coming, okay? I just felt that, and that's not in my notes, but putting it out there. She didn't give up, and he gave her the desires of her heart. And her daughter was restored immediately. So the woman in this encounter was seeking the least bit the leftovers of Jesus's ministry, as it were. And Lazarus in today's story was seeking the least bit, the leftovers from the rich man's table, just whatever might fall. When you have a need, you long for the least bit of relief, right? Any help is better than none. The word least means the minimum or the smallest amount But to someone with nothing, the least is a lot. I meant to bring an apple, but never mind. Someone with 20 apples will not miss one apple very much. I wrote this as 100 apples, and I thought, well, 100 apples are going off, aren't they? I mean, that's just too many apples. They've got to become cider or something, right? (laughs) So, um, So I went with 20. Someone with 20 apples will not miss one apple very much. But to someone with nothing, one apple is a complete meal. Just that really struck me when I thought about that. Because when you have a need, you long for the least bit of help or relief. Okay, this encounter with the Canaanite woman demonstrates that the crumbs from the table, the dirty hunks of hand-cleaning bread and surplus-dropped pieces of food belong to the dogs. It's the dogs who are expected to clean up the mess under the table and it certainly works in my house any other dog owners in the room it works in my house yep we've got little hoovers that hang around us they're very handy aren't they Well, Lazarus is found hanging out with the dogs at the rich man's home, and he is hoping to eat some scraps, but as a dog trainer, and I know the dog owners in the room will also know that you have to be pretty quick to beat a dog to a fallen piece of food, right? Especially when you drop it by accident, it was never intended for them, and it's a mince pie, and it could make them ill. (laughs) The idea of trying to get there faster than the dogs is actually... Well, it's highly unlikely he ever got any food for himself if he was fighting the dogs for it. Remember, his description, actually, in the scripture is that he desired to be fed from what fell from the rich man's table, not that he actually ever got any. I think Lazarus was likely properly starving. Thankfully... Something not many people in our modern Western society understand is the actual feeling of starvation. But we do say it, don't we? We say, I'm starving when we had a meal just a few hours ago, or at least we had a meal the day before. I'm starving. No, you're not. You're really not. However, I am in the unusual position of knowing what real starving actually feels like because I have actually been starving. When I was 13, I started to suffer from symptoms of a chronic bowel condition called ulcerative colitis, and I had a lot of health struggles over the years. By the age of 16, my weight, and I was as high and tall as I am now, had dropped to five stone, which for those who work in kilograms is 31 kilos. And I was close to death. You could see my bones through my skin. My mum says I look like uh, those images from... Uh, from the uh, internment camps in the Nazi camps. Um, My body could not digest food properly. And even in hospital, I was kept on nil by mouth, which I think personally was very cruel, but okay. Um, I was kept on nil by mouth to give my system a break. But thankfully, due to modern medicine, it's okay. I was then sustained through a feeding tube. So there are ways to feed people when you are not able to eat um, these days but my body still suffered from many effects of starvation because by that time I already had all these effects in place a bloated belly hair loss cold extremities fatigue fainting pain muscle weakness and more and the pain of an empty stomach I don't think I can describe to anyone, although I did try once in a novel I've written. So one day you might be able to read it. You never know. Um, the pain of an empty stomach—only a hungry, only a person who's ever been truly hungry—knows that pain is real pain. Um, but I tell you all this because I know that when I was at my worst, I could barely lift my arm without extreme effort. My brain had to really engage to actually lift my arm. That's ridiculous, isn't it? But I had to actually really think about any movement I made. Most of us would wave a dog away from licking our sores. But I wonder if Lazarus was so weak from hunger, he couldn't even lift his arms to bat the dogs away. Symptoms of starvation include a weakened immune system, slow wound healing, and poor response to infection. Rashes may develop on the skin because the body directs any nutrients available to keep in the organs, the internal organs, functioning. Lazarus's very sores that the dogs were licking are most likely a sign of his malnutrition. Now, dogs have some healing properties in their saliva. I looked it up, it seems to be true. I'm gonna go with it. <laughs> um, And, and yeah, they go straight to their own wounds to heal them quickly, and you'll see them lick their wounds immediately. It occurs to me that um, in intending to Lazarus' sores, the dogs were actually offering more help than the rich human nearby. In fact, they had half a hope of clearing up some of his infections with their licking. And at least the dogs were perhaps soothing him. However... On the other side, a dog's mouth also contains vast amounts of bacteria (laughs) and those human sores could as easily have become more infected um, as they could have been healed through the licking from the dog. But the fact remains, and I think this is the bit to really go on, the dog's instincts led them to at least try to help Lazarus, whilst the rich man did absolutely nothing. Then Luke 16 verse 22, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried and in Hades being in torment he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. You know the name Lazarus means God has helped. And now we see that to, be, that to become true in this Lazarus's life because he has been taken to a place of comfort and well-being. God has helped. He's delivered him from that difficulty. But the rich man dies and finds himself in a place described as torment. Through this story, reading this story alone, this rich man is not guilty of any greater sin than just simply neglecting and ignoring his fellow human being. That's a really sobering thought. Another thing I noticed from this passage is we often make the gospel sound like we only get eternal life, everlasting life, live on forever, when we choose to follow Jesus. But to be clear, eternal life is true either way. This teaching shows that the rich man did not just cease to exist. No, he went on to experience torment. And this really does need to be remembered because I think if we fully understood this, if we remembered this, we'd be way more motivated to save people. We'd realise what we're saving them from. Nobody needs saving from eternal nothing. But torment... Yeah, that might be worth saving someone from. I might want to keep my children out of that. I might want to keep my family out of that. I might want to keep my loved ones out of that. I might want to keep the person I walk past in the street out of that, out of torment. I'm not going to take a long time into the next part of the passage because it could lead us in all sorts of direction, and this is called self-control on Lydia's part. Um, so I don't feel it's, it's what we need to be delving into too far today. So I just would like it up on the screen, if possible. Luke, the next bit you've got, Luke 16, 24 to um, 26. Um, I just want you to notice a couple of things if you can glance at it. So first of all, in verse 16, Father Abraham. The rich man calls out Father Abraham, showing he's one of God's chosen family. He's a descendant of Abraham. And actually, Abraham talks to him. He doesn't disown him. He doesn't, he doesn't go, I don't know you. He, he acknowledges him. He doesn't, doesn't correct him. And the other thing I'd like you to notice is um, what he requests of father Abraham he requests that Lazarus attend to his needs he still sees himself as more superior than Lazarus even in their current circumstance isn't that appalling (laughs) the last thing that you might want to notice is um, in verse 26 there is a great chasm that's a great separation between the places of torment and comfort. It is not possible, says Abraham, to cross over from one side to the other after death. It is not possible to cross over after death. So my my suggestion to you is you make the decision that places you in the good place whilst you are alive on earth, folks, because you cannot cross over afterwards. And it is hard. It's hard to hear this. It's hard to preach this, because we just want to think about the nice things. But if we don't realize what we're being saved from, then what the heck? What's, what's salvation? What is the point? Now it seems that the rich man catches on to this revelation as he finally displays concern for someone other than himself. He thinks of his family on Earth. He realizes he can't oh sorry, he can't cross over from one side to the other. But he realises his family still have time to make a different decision, to live differently. Verse 27, and he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him, still send Lazarus, still make Lazarus do my bidding, to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Cue inspiration for a Charles Dickens novel. The rich man wants to prevent his family suffering in torment. So he naturally thinks a sign. Send them a sign. Send them a visit from a dead person. That might get through to them. Luke 16, verse 29. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, from the dead, they will of course repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. The rich man's brothers already had all the necessary information to escape the torment in their lifestyle in their scriptures in the way they've been brought up i mean they're not it's not about church on sundays like literally he would they would have been brought up with the understanding if they had been listening to moses and the prophets and doing what they'd already said to do that would have been enough but if people with hardened hearts cannot be swayed by the truth already available to them why would they accept a warning from the grave to change their lives This life has become, I believe, and this again isn't in my notes. I've gone off on one. Um, This life has become uh, too attractive. We were praying about it in the prayer meeting when I arrived today. Life here on earth has become so attractive that we spend our entire lives trying to make it nice and happy. And I want a happy life. And that's what I want for my children. Of course I do. Of course we do. But this isn't it. This is the waiting room. This is the unimportant bit. My brother-in-law died five years ago. He's in a much better place right now than I am. You know, whether I have a happy day or a bad day, he's in a much better place. And we've got to realize that this is not the end result. This is not what it's all about. This, this and the good days and the bad days, they pass away. We've got to get a, 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 a clue on the fact that actually, but eternal life's a really long time. Just get a clue of that. (laughs) There's a really nice reader experience in this passage for us here as we realize that Jesus was telling this story on his way towards a time when he himself would die and would be raised from the dead. He would be raised back to life. And many people would would know of this or see him and still refuse to accept his message. The rich man and Lazarus is a story set within the old covenant. That means before Jesus was resurrected. The rich man we see was a Jew. If he'd followed his Jewish teachings, he would not have been in torment. It was that simple. He was already one of the chosen. And please make no mistake, the rich man was not condemned because of his riches It wasn't the amount of wealth he had. It was because of his attitude, because our attitude really matters to God. 1 Samuel 16 verse 7 says, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. It's all about our heart attitude. I don't know if you realize it, but we actually live in the extra-privileged, easy part of history. We live after the resurrection, and therefore, we get to take part in the new promises of God. We might make big mistakes. We might make bad choices. We might hurt, and we might neglect and ignore our fellow human being. We might mess up, and we might be selfish, but we still have the opportunity right till our last breath to avoid eternal torment. If we take up the offer of the good life that Jesus brought us on the cross, we live in a, the best part of history. Many of us think, oh, it would have been nice to walk with Jesus. I think I'd rather have human toilets. I'd rather have like what we have now. <laughs> I, I, because we have the resurrection promises. And we do walk with Jesus. If you're not walking with Jesus... Ask him to walk with you closely because you're missing out. We are walking with Jesus. There really is no difference. We just get to have an easier life of it. Romans 5, verse 8 to 9 says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Jesus saved us from torment, the end. That's what he came to do. That's what his cross did. Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So how do we become in Christ Jesus? Because that's what it says. There's no condemnation. You're not condemned to torment if you are in Christ Jesus. So we need to be in Christ Jesus. Well, the answer comes in Romans 10 verse 9 to 13. If you confess with your mouth, speak out, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Done, done, done. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. What come, who knows what comes out of your mouth is what's really inside your heart anyway, right? What comes out of your mouth is what's inside Um, for the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek you see there was a distinction before but now there isn't you can be born in any culture and this is for you for the same Lord is Lord of all bestowing his riches on all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved it's so easy for us because Jesus did it all, and we can just respond in faith. But here's the thing, this and this is, you know, <laughs> no, I'm not going to say it. But the sad fact is, for those who refuse to accept the good news of Jesus' his free gift of being made right and being able to, you know, have that eternal life with God in heaven, if they die today, they will be in torment. They need saving. They need a saviour They need Jesus. And it's harsh. It does sound harsh. It feels like it's harsh because we don't talk about it enough, which means we're actually doing a really big disservice to those who want to turn to Jesus. Because if we're saying turn to Jesus because he makes your life better, we're lying. If we say turn to Jesus because it's nice not to walk alone in life, well, a lot of people aren't walking alone in life anyway anyway. Yeah, you can, you can feel comfort in other ways. There are many other reasons to turn to Jesus, but they fall apart at some point. We have to realise that actually, it doesn't seem like a pressing issue if empty, quiet darkness is all that you're avoiding. Good news is only good news because it counters bad news. The bad news is we're all sinners and deserve eternal torment. The good news is that Jesus saves us from that and gives us a get-out-of-torment-free Undeserved completely passed to heaven. Maybe you've been avoiding making a decision about Jesus, and I can't stress enough how important it is that you make that decision. You don't know what tomorrow brings. Take the free gift of salvation that Jesus bought for you now. Make sure that your eternal destination is decided now because you can't change your mind afterwards. Jesus already returned from the grave. There is no other proof that you need. You can give your life to Jesus right now with this simple prayer. You can do it later and pray your own prayer. You don't have to use special words, but I'm going to give you a prayer to use right now. So it's going to come up on screen, I think. Yeah, there it is. So you can either speak it out, Those of you who know Jesus already, you can re-speak it out together. As I said, confess with your mouth is important. So actually, I was going to say either, but I'm going with speak it out. (laughs) Speak it out. Okay, let's speak. Those who want to, feel free to sit in silence if you are not sure you want to give your life to Jesus. I'd rather you do that than pretend because God knows your heart. It's about your heart. It's not about anyone who's sat near you. Let's speak. Father God... I confess that Jesus is Lord. I believe that He rose from the dead to save me. Today, I choose to live with an attitude that seeks to please God in everything I do. Lord, fill me with Your Holy Spirit and help me live out Your purposes through my life. I am saved, I am forgiven. And I am on my way to heaven because I belong to Jesus Christ. Amen. You may have prayed that for the first time. You may have prayed that for the hundredth time. You may want to pray it later. You may want to ask God into your life in your own way. But let me tell you, however you do it, giving your life to Jesus is the least difficult thing you can do. And it is all that is required to be saved. To be saved from that torment, as we're talking about today, but to be saved into a much, and and here's the promise. You see, it is a better life. I do feel it's a better life. I feel very sorry for people who aren't walking with Jesus every day. So, you know, um, but, you know, I can't promise you a better life. You're still going to have troubles and difficulties to overcome, but you get to do it with wisdom from the Holy Spirit. Anyway, it is all that is required. However, it isn't all we can do in life to honour God and to live out his best purposes. And to say his story has probably already challenged us a little on that. I really hope it has. But remember, it's not his wealth that plunged that rich man into torment. It's his attitude. It's his habitual neglect of the human in need right on his doorstep. The rich man feasted sumptuously, and this really occurred to me, so grab this. This rich man feasted sumptuously and dressed richly. Do you know, he could have remained very comfortably dressed and extremely well fed with half of what he consumed. To care for Lazarus would have been so easy for the rich man and would have hardly even affected him. It would not have disturbed his comfort to care for the poor man. This, I think, is the sin that sent him into torment. Let's really get this. The rich man could have changed Lazarus's entire life without really changing his own much at all. And that, I think, is today's challenge to us. Today, I believe God is asking each of us, what is the least you could do to help someone else? What is the least you could do to help someone else? Before I close, and I am coming to a close, who is the light of the world? It's a real question. Who is? You're clever. Most people would say Jesus first. (laughs) And you are right. Jesus is the light of the world. But who does Jesus say is the light of the world? You are. Who does Jesus say is the salt of the earth? We are. You and me. We are the ones that bring the light in the darkness. When everyone is clamouring and saying, I need help from Jesus, he says, you are the salt. You are the solution to your neighbour. But guess what? Someone else over there is your solution. And that's how we're supposed to be living. We're supposed to be intertwined. So I will pray for my need But I will also see to your need. I will come out of my distress, and I will see to your need. And as I see to your need, I'm praying for my need, but someone over here comes and sees to my need. Are you getting this, or do I need to get people moving around in front of you? Okay, we're good. We're good. Because that was a revelation I actually had this morning. That's this morning's fresh bread for you, okay? That actually... That's how it works. And the reason that the world will tell you that in fact, in order to deal with depression and depressive feelings, you must get out and do something for someone else is because it's already inbuilt in us. As, As human beings, God has made us givers as well as takers okay and we will feel better when we do something for someone else but actually when we do something for someone else we release this something for us at the same time there's this great holy and i'm not saying okay go minister to everyone and all your problems will be gone what i'm saying is there's this great way where we're all supposed to be working together and we should all be doing at least the least that we could do for someone else and in that point we meet each other's needs and that's how god answers our prayers And that's what church should be. So as I come to a close, 1 John 3, verse 17 to 18 says, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? And I can't imagine how you sit there and enjoy that when you can see a poor man nearby. Even if you can't see him, maybe turn your back to him. You know he's there. You can hear the dogs licking. Okay, little children, let us not live in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Remember, to someone in need, the least you can do is better than nothing. So let's stop giving excuses or ignoring the needs around us. I believe God wants each of us to go and act on this word today and find the least we can do to change someone's life today what is the least you can do? Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you that you have called us to be part of community. Community, wide community and community in your body, Lord God. That you have called us to be the answers to each other's prayers. And where we can't answer one, we may be able to answer another. And we can bring and help each other with their needs and as we do lord god you you bring someone to us because in that obedience as we all obey you lord god as we all live as you have called us to be salt and light in this world we will see it all work out that our needs will be fulfilled and others needs will be fulfilled through us thank you jesus that you have called us into this community and i pray lord god that we will each take this seriously Lord God, that we will not turn our backs or a blind eye or close the door or try to drown out the sound of the licking of the dogs, Lord God, that we will attend to each other's needs. And to those who we know, who who you call our attention to, Lord God, who you place in our doorways and gateways, Lord God, I pray that you will help us to do the very least, at least that we could do. And Lord, like you, may we be more and more like you and give more and more, Lord God, to attend to each other. In Jesus' name, amen. I do want to be very clear. Sometimes the internet can take things out of um, context. so. I do believe that sacrificial giving to God is really important and like giving as much of yourself as you possibly can to each other is really good and to help or to God or to whatever. But actually, his challenge to us today is very clear. What is the least you can do? So I hope you'll take that out and uh, live it out. God bless you.